you got your Bibles on, you turn with me to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, good morning to you. Hey everybody, um, back to school tomorrow, that's a thing. Hello to all of those of you who are watching and worshiping with us online. We are going to be in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Joel 2, 12 through 14. Are y'all ready to go? Let's do it. Let's get to it. Joel 2, 12 through 14 says this. It says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he'll not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and God, I pray right now for your anointing. Uh, I don't walk up here by my own choice or my own accord. I just try to do what I think you want me to do and say what I think I'm supposed to say. And so I'm praying that you'd bless the word today. I'm praying that something would be said in this place that matters. And I'm praying you would give uh, your people here eyes to see and ears to hear uh, what you want to say to them and what you want to, to show them. And may we walk out of these doors different then we came in. Uh, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. The, uh, the first two words uh, in the book of Joel, in the original Hebrew, are the words Debar and Yahweh. Debar, D-E-B-A-R, and Yahweh. Debar means word, and Yahweh means Lord. Joel does not open his book with any form of pleasantries. You know, there's no uh, greetings or salutations like there's no to whom it may concern. No, he just jumps directly in and he says, listen, because the word I'm about to share with you is a word that came to me directly from heaven. Now, I know that we live in a skeptical age, and uh, not all skepticism is bad, but if you're like me, it makes me a little bit nervous when I hear somebody being so definitive, you know, so certain, so absolute, especially when they're claiming to be speaking on God's behalf. But I want you to know, church, that uh, over the years, Joel has been found to be a trustworthy narrator. The prophecies that are in this book have held up uh, through the test of time. I mean, 950 years before the Spirit of God fell on the people of God at Pentecost, Joel predicted it. He prophesied it. He said here in this text, one day it will come to pass that the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2, verse 28. I'm sure Mere Mark 1 will be preaching on that as we continue throughout Joel. But not only does he say it there, but then the apostle Peter actually quotes Joel in Acts chapter 2. 
when the Spirit fell on the people of God, the people started acting kind of crazy. And so a lot of people were judging them, going, hey, in Acts 2, they're going, hey, are these people drunk? And Peter said to them, no, we're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. And not only is it 9 in the morning, but what you're seeing take place here is what Joel predicted 900 years ago. What you're seeing is the Spirit of God has fallen, and it's now here. Joel received a word from the Lord. The bar Yahweh. And over time, that word has been validated, authenticated, and verified. And for that reason, I think whenever we hear somebody preaching from this text or reading this word, or we read them ourselves, like we should be leaning in going, okay, okay, I know that what we're reading here is true. Now, for whatever reason, as I've been studying this book this week, there's one phrase that I haven't been able to get out of my head. There's one line that Joel says, you know, quoting the the Lord that it's just, it's stuck with me and that's going to form the core of what I feel like I'm supposed to talk about today. And he says it in Joel chapter 2, verse 13. And again, speaking on God's behalf, he says this to the people. He tells them to rend their hearts and not their garments. He says, I want you to rend your hearts and not your garments. In context, God was calling the people back to him. He was calling them to come back, to return. And he says to them here, essentially, even now, return to me, weep and fast and mourn and rend your hearts and not your garments. So what does it mean to rend our hearts? What does that phrase mean, to rend our hearts? The word rend means to rip or to break or to tear. Is rend, is that a word you're familiar with? It means to rip or to break or to tear. Biblically speaking, when a person was in a state of mourning, they were supposed to rend their garments. They were supposed to tear their clothes. This was meant to be an outward display of inner despair. Like if you walked out of your home and your clothes were ripped and everybody that you encountered knew that you were in a state of mourning. They were able to look at you and they could tell immediately that you were dealing with something heavy. And the Bible is filled with examples of people doing this, okay? The uh, patriarch Jacob tore his clothes when he thought his son Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Caleb and Joshua, they tore their clothes when they tried to get the rest of the Israelites to enter the promised land, but they were unwilling to do so. David tore his clothes when Saul died. Elisha tore his clothes when Elijah went to heaven, his mentor on the whirlwind. Job's friends, they tore their clothes when they came to meet Job and they saw the poor state that their friend, the man that they loved, was in. They ripped their clothes. The point is, according to Jewish tradition, when you were mourning, you were supposed to rend your garments. You tore your clothes, and for years the people did this, and Joel's audience would have been very familiar with these stories. They would have been very familiar with this tradition. They would have been very familiar with this practice. And yet, here in this text, God flips the whole thing on its head. He says, traditionally, what people have done to their clothes I want you to do to your hearts. 
What people have done to their garments, I want you to do to your hearts. I want you to, to retu- return to me and to be able to do that. I'm going to need you to fast and I'm going to need you to weep and I'm going to need you to mourn and I'm going to need you to rip your own heart open. God's call here was a bit violent and uh, maybe a bit crude, but it was also so apt and timely for the people. God was calling them to return to him, but to be able to do that, they were going to have to learn how to break their own heart. They were going to have to learn how to break their own heart. I mean, think about it. What does that even mean? To rend your heart, to tear your heart apart, to be able to break your own heart. For a believer, how might there be value for us in learning how to break our own hearts? Well, I would argue that any time you have given yourself, your heart, to lesser things than God and his call, your heart needs to be broken, and the sooner the better. Did you hear me? I would argue that any time you're giving your heart to lesser things than God and what he has for you, the sooner you can break your heart, the better off you'll be. I mean, here's the thing. If you are dating the wrong person or working the wrong job or hanging out with the wrong friends, the longer you allow those things to stay in the way, the further you'll drift from Yahweh. The longer you allow those things to stay in the way, the further you will drift from the narrow way. Uh, Pastor Dennis Kyle says it like this. He says, the longer you entertain what's not from God, the longer you postpone what is. Did you hear that? The longer you entertain what's not from God, the longer you postpone what is. And the sooner you separate yourselves from those things, the sooner you can start the journey back home. And I know some of you might say, but Brock, you don't, you don't understand. I mean, you don't know how painful it would be for me to let go of this thing, or you don't know how painful it would be for me to let go of this relationship. And I would say to you, it's going to be much more painful for you one day if you don't. Do you hear me? Like I'm preaching today. Come on. Think about it like this. How many of you have ever watched somebody that you care about um, fall in love with the wrong person? It's awful. Right? I mean, can we be real? Like, really, how many of you have seen that before? You've seen somebody you care about fall in love with the wrong person. It is, uh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, maybe it's a friend of yours. Maybe it's a, a son or a daughter. But let's pretend right now that it's a female. It's a, it's a girl. And you watch this girl give her heart to the, the wrong boy. And you just sit back and you watch as she pulls away from her family. And you watch as the light slowly fades from her eyes. And you watch, it's like every time that you show up and and encounter her, it seems like she's become a shell of the person that she used to be. And every time you get around her or him, you just want to shout, like, wake up, wake up, what are you doing? And you know for her to leave him, it would break her heart. But you also know that's exactly what needs to happen. She needs to leave. She needs to let go. She needs to move on. She needs to be willing to break her own heart for the good of her soul. Church, I can't help but think that that oftentimes is how God looks down on us from heaven. 
when he sees us giving our hearts to things that he knows won't satisfy us, that he looks down and he's shouting, wake up, rend your hearts and not your garments. Let go, move on, give it up. Be willing to break your own heart for the good of your soul. Church, there I think is immense value in learning to break our own hearts. Like to be willing to take an honest, uh, an honest assessment of our lives and our so-called loves and to be willing to separate ourselves from anything that stands in the way of our sanctification. The author Jordan Peterson says it this way. He says, oftentimes the reason we suffer is because we won't let go of the things that are biting us. Oftentimes, the reason we suffer is because we won't let go of the things that are biting us. And you all know that's true. I mean, we're all guilty of hanging on too long to jobs, to hobbies, to addictions, to relationships, all because they bring us momentary pleasure, but they're causing eternal destruction. We're all guilty of doing those things. I know most of you, I think all of you, wouldn't keep a dog in your house if it kept biting you and your kids. I'm talking about all the time, every day. You would not keep, like if Cody and Kenzie had a dog and every day that, call, or that dog just took a chunk out of baby Cole's arms, how silly would it be if Kenzie just bandaged his arm up and then they kept the dog there the next day and then the next day just took a chunk out of his leg and it was just constant, just every day. It was, nobody would do that. And if you did it, eventually somebody would notice and eventually somebody would call social services and that's child abuse and they would come to your house. I mean, the, that concept is ludicrous. And yet, some of you won't put your phones down and you won't put the bottle down or you won't put the video game controller down and these things are biting your families all the same, doing the same sort of harm but you just won't let go. You know it's biting, but you just won't let go of the thing that is biting. I mean, let's be real for a minute. You know, not all scars are external. You know, a lot of times I think the, the ones that hurt the most aren't. But the scars that hurt the most, we can't see them. And once you're able to identify the animal that is biting you, and you see the bite marks on your kids over and over again, it's time to put that animal to sleep. Do you hear me? I mean, once you see it, and you know it, and you can feel it, it's time to put it to rest. I mean, there's, there's nothing, there's no shame in walking down some wrong roads, right? We've all done that. The shame only starts when you know you're walking down the wrong road and you just keep on stepping. Maybe you're going, Brock, are you saying, you know, these are things that we enjoy? Are you saying that we shouldn't have any fun? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, well, what Cody's singing in that song, you need to lay some stuff down because Jesus is worth it and because your soul is worth it and because your family is worth it. And I'm saying that I think uh, a broken heart is better than a darkened soul. Like, I would rather you have a broken heart than a dead soul. And just so you know, some Sundays, church, the preacher's preaching to himself, okay? 
I mean, like, my wife's not here, but I'm pretty sure she just screenshotted the last three minutes, right? And I'll come home and sit down today, and she'll be like, play. And it'll play back, and be like, okay, you're right. I mean, just this week, on Tuesday morning, I got this discipleship group of guys that I meet with for, like, you know, uh, 5.30 in the morning. And this week, I called them. I was like, hey, I'm going to give you this challenge, right? How about we try to uh, look at our phones less than an hour every day this week? It's not work-related. How about you? And I'm like, this is measurable, right? I mean, you can track it. I'm like, how about? And I get to the end of the week this Sunday, and my phone pops up, and it's like, you have been on your phone an average of four hours and 30 minutes today. I'm like, ooh, okay, all right, I see it. I feel it. I know what it means. I know what hypocrisy looks like. It don't taste good. But even if you like it, sometimes you've got to break your heart from it. You know, it's not... It doesn't deserve my time. It doesn't deserve my attention, my energy. And y'all laugh at me, but I know as I say those things, you look at each other. And even if you don't, it's grace. You'll talk about it in the car on the way home. That's grace. You're like, I'm not going to poke your leg now, but we can talk about it. Joel says here, rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Now, the reason that God calls us to rend our hearts ultimately is so he can mend our hearts. The rending makes way for the mending. Psalm 51, 17 says that a broken heart and a contrite spirit, our God will not deny. It is the cracks that let the light in people. We break our hearts open so that the Holy Spirit can fill them up. No rips, no cracks, no tears, no entry point. We're in a series right now called The Comeback. And you know, until a person's willing to admit that they're down or that they're losing or that there's been a setback, a comeback isn't necessary. A broken heart is where all the best comeback stories start. The pain is often the precursor to the prize. I want to show you something. We put that word up there I gave you. Look at this. I added this like three minutes before I walked out here. I sent him a text like 10 minutes before I got here today because I thought about this in my mind. I was like, I gotta share that. This is the word surrender, right? And what's at the center of the word surrender? What word's right there? It's the word rend. And that's because to surrender, it starts with the rending. We tear our hearts open so that God can enter and can correct. He can fix. When we open our hearts up, he can come in and the spirit can begin to repair. It can begin to go to work. You can take it down. Thank you. When I turned uh, 16 years old, my first truck was a, a Mazda a B2200 pickup truck, 1988 edition. It had been my dad's truck, and um, you've heard me talk about it before. It was two different colors red, okay? And the reason it was two different colors red is because uh, one day I was driving down Oakland, Oakland Ridge, and a deer came on a kamikaze mission and ran into the side of my vehicle, and so it got painted with the fresh color red, like what the original color red was, but the other side you know, so it was, it was like party on one side, business on the other side. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how, that's what it looked like when, when I get, like if I was going to a job interview or something, I was always parking on the edge where I could see the best, like this is my best side, right? Well, I remember uh, the first time that I got a, uh, I got a nail 
in the tire. And I just, the tire kept, uh, it kept going flat, and every day I'd, on the way to school or whatever, I'd pull in, put some air in it, but it got to where it just wasn't holding, wasn't holding the air at all. And so I went to uh, my neighbor's house. Um, our, our neighbor, he was actually our cousin, but we called him Pap because he was like a, a grandfather to us. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, then welcome to Mainerville. I mean, that's just how it is up there, right? But I go to Pap's house because Pap, after my dad died, Pap was the guy who fixed everything. Like when we had something who was broken, I mean, he was a great gift to our family, but he could fix anything and he was willing to. And so I, I go to his house and I pull in and I show him the nail and we identify the problem. And Pap was always, the good thing about him is he's always trying to teach. You know, he didn't just want to do something. He wanted to teach us how to do it in case we had the problem again. And so he uh, is going to show me how to plug the tire on my, on my truck. And so he pulls out the plugging kit. Any of y'all ever plugged a tire before? I mean, I know the Haitians got it. Come on, we're plugging some tires in Haiti. Just keep, they've got seven plugs in them. So anyway, um, he, he pulls out this plugging kit and he comes over to show me how to do it. And the first thing he does is he takes out a pair of pliers and he, and he grabs, he's able to grab the, the nail and he pulls uh, the nail out. And then he takes the plug and I see him like studying and looking at the hole and he can't, it's the hole's not big enough for the plug to go down in it. So then he gets out this tool, I think it's called a reaming tool, and he goes to work puncturing that hole, like making it bigger. Like he puts this tool in and he starts to swirl it around in there to, to, to make the hole larger. And the whole time, I'm like six things and they're looking at him like, dude, what are you doing? Like I had a little hole and now I've got this like monster of a hole. Like this is not why I came here. And I remember Pap looked at me and he saw me studying it and and this is what he, he said to me. He said, Brock, sometimes in life, you have to make things a little worse before they can get better. He said, sometimes in life, you have to make things a little worse before they can get better. And then he got the hole big enough and he stuck the plug in there and he twisted it around. He pulled it out and he aired my tire up and I was ready to go. And I haven't forgotten those words. Sometimes in life, to make things a little worse before they can get a lot better. Sometimes in life, church, listen, sometimes in life, you have to be willing to tear your heart open so that God can go to work healing it. Sometimes you got to be willing to walk into the pain if you ever want to experience the prize. I mean, sometimes you have to reopen the wound if you really want to go in and clean out the infection. We rend our hearts so that God can mend our hearts. Word rend is at the center of the word surrender. You can't surrender without rending. You can't come back without rending. You can't come home without rending. This is how Eugene Peterson translated Joel 2, 12 through 14, and this is from the message, and I'm going to close with this. This is how he translated the text, and I love it. This is what he said. But there's also this, it's not too late. God's personal message, come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping, sorry for your sins. Listen church, change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God, and here's why. God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath, puts up with a lot. The most patient God, extravagant in love, always ready to cancel catastrophe. 
Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when all's said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust from your God. My friends, let today be the day that you rend and return. If there are things that you have given your heart to that are lesser things than God and his call on your life, let today be the day that you learn how to break your own heart because I can assure you a broken heart is better than a darkened soul. This is the Debar Yahweh, a word from the Lord. Pray with me. Father, this is my prayer right now. Break our hearts for the things that break yours. There are people in this place, and whether they want to admit it or not, they've given their hearts to things that don't deserve it, that aren't worthy. Let right now be a change point in their life. Not because of anything that I said, but because of what the Spirit is capable of doing. Even if it hurts, help them to let go to move on, to tear the heart open so that you can enter and fill it up. Help them to get the stuff out of the way that needs to get out of the way so that they can once again be passionate about following you, Yahweh. That's my prayer. Move in this place. Break some hearts even right now. Break some hearts, but enliven some souls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.